Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kavorik and Tara Vanerdusen, and together we bring you our professional farming opinion on a mix of entertainment, facts, and trending news articles in the ag and food space. We're ag like you've never seen or heard it before. Welcome to episode 73 of Discover Ag, brought to you again by Case IH. To the men and women of Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life that they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit BuiltByFarmers.com to see their stories and even share your own stories. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast. So I have to know, have you started Clarkson's Farm yet? Oh my gosh, I swear you are killing me about this show. You have emailed me. It's like, so I don't know who else does this, but I have like my inbox is like unread emails is like things I have to do. Like even if I've read them, I click unread so that I do them. I have an unread email from you that's like, watch this Amazon Prime show. I've had two <laughs> text messages from you and a saved audio message. I'm like, Natalie. So last night I finally was like, she's going to ask me on the podcast. So I started episode one. You're welcome. Like I did it. <laughs> do you love it or do you love it? I do like it. I'm going to keep watching it. I'm going to keep watching it. I'm only one episode in, so I feel like I can't give like a, you know, full perspective. But I um, I have a few things to say about it. What What do you like about it? You, you're further in than me. I am. So I just finished episode five. I'm not sure how many episodes are in the first season. And they did get picked up for the second season, which is already out there. So I'm wondering if they're filming third. Um, I think I love it because I think he is bringing interesting if people like agree or not disagree, but I think he's bringing like awareness to agriculture um, in a really interesting light to me. Like I do feel like people are learning about it um, and it's humorous, but I think he's actually doing a really good job of showing like the details, the nuance. And I think it's interesting because he's learning it, I think is what I like most about it. I also think he does a really interesting job of bringing in actual numbers of agriculture, which I don't think people understand. And I don't think he brings it in in like a way that turns me off or like away from it. I think he's just like pretty matter of the fact about it. Like he's like, this is going to cost X, Y, Z. I made this much. I made no, like the latest one I watched was about sheep. And he was talking about how he's like losing money um, on the whole shearing process, which is interesting because Big Sky Caroline kind of just talked oh, about yeah. this a little bit too. She's been on her soapbox. Shout out. Her podcast launches tomorrow. So it'll be live when this comes out. So if you're looking for more ag podcasts, go check out Choose Wisely. Um, but yeah, she's been sharing. She was on like a soapbox about um, how expensive it is to shear and like how there's no... there's. And I even saw her latest story. I think it was last night that she was like, yes, I would like to do something with it, but I don't want to start like a whole nother business. Like there's not a good option. So it's it interesting that he talked about that. Such a valid point she brought up. Like, um, But he's actually doing... So I think episode four... He was, re- it was titled like rewilding and he was putting in like a pond and he was bringing in fish and he was doing a bunch of stuff with habitat. Um, and I thought that was interesting too, because he brought up this point in part of it where he chopped down all this lumber from part of his like forest, I guess. And he was getting, he's obviously has a very large social presence and he was like getting heat or flack for like cutting down the timber and people were mad about it. Um, but then he went on to explain and he's like, all these people are idiots. They're mad that I cut this down, but he's like, 
but and then he like showed we're putting bringing more sunlight to the forest now the the flowers can actually bloom and grow and he did like xyz of all the the opposite side that like i don't think people i don't know we're gonna i feel like i'm gonna get into this with our last article or maybe it's our second article um but I think sometimes the hypocrisy of people understanding like um, the nuance around environmental issues is kind of hard. And I think he just does such an interesting, good job of it. I just love him. I love him. I'm watching. I'm doing it for you. I'll Thank put you. more heart into it. Um, I'll, so. You'll appreciate this. The They have a little farm store shop. Um, and obviously, again, he does not take life too seriously. But I just saw that he is labeling. Um, they must be doing. I don't know if it's raw milk or it must be raw milk, but it says cow juice. He has a big sign that says cow juice. And I was like, oh maybe God. that's the approach dairy industry should take. We should start labeling maybe. all of milk as cow juice so that we're like distinguished like from the rest. Like if you guys don't want juice, fine. We'll take it and like just run with it. <laughs> um, okay. Speaking of things that you are forcing me to watch and listen to, I finally got on the Dolly Parton's America train. And listen, I am here to tell people I was a doubter and I am, I think I only have two episodes left. Uh, I am like almost all the way through it. So I did I get rewind. on that train. I want to rewind to where you're a doubter. Why are we doubting my I wasn't, unsolicited I advice I wanted, I'm giving you? <laughs> I just didn't know if I wanted to listen to like 10 hours of Dolly Parton last week. And now but here I do. am. I'm eight hours in. So, mm-hmm. okay, oh, she's you can't, so fascinating. I can't like, you've got to give me more time like between all these things. <laughs> um, all right. Let's let everyone know what we're covering today. Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. This week's top three trending topics in the Agamemnon space that you guys need to know is one fruit and vegetables are being rationed in the UK supermarkets. So I actually um, DM'd a person in the UK about this, and I have, I'll have i keep checking my phone and see if I get a response, but otherwise I'll share it to Discover Ag Stories. I'm just curious from like a local's perspective what's going on in the UK. Did you? Was it Jeremy Clarkson? Did you DM Jeremy Clarkson? No. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> uh, next time I will. Okay. Once I've watched season one and season two, I'll DM him. Maybe we can tweet him. He's pretty big on Twitter. Okay. I'll leave the tweeting to you. Okay, our second article is New Mexico ranchers urge judge to halt aerial slaughter of 150 wild cattle. Um, maybe here is a good time to say I was actually on the livestock board um, appointed by the governor for the last three years. I just got off of it because of other commitments. But um, I think I actually voted on this. I was like sat through this. I don't know. I don't think it's called a trial, but like arguments about this case of voting on it, of what to do with these cattle. You're going to bring your very legal opinion to this inside scoop on it. Mm-hmm. Mm, love that. <laughs> it's going to be juicy. <laughs> and our third one is actually a lot of people have, uh, when I shared on our my channel that we were going to be covering this, a lot of people were like, oh, I'm so glad you're picking this up. So I do think it's like kind of made its way through the news. I'm interested to see. I'm actually super curious to hear what you voted because I don't even know. Um because I don't know if I have... Well, we'll save it for the discussion. Okay. Save Getting it. to the third article. How much U.S. farmland does China really own? This one shocked me. I think I sent you this one. It's a Forbes, so I would imagine I sent it to you because it's one of the newsletters I read every morning. But... um this one really surprised me. I put it in our Discover Ag stories, though, and it was kind of split. Some people weren't totally surprised to hear, like, the numbers, I guess. I don't know. I feel like we see China in the news so much that I just thought, like, they owned more, I guess. I don't know. Okay. 
Before we dive into all of that, we also want to thank a second new sponsor to the show. You guys, so exciting to have whoop, people whoop. behind what we're doing on this podcast. Um, I know you guys individually support us, but it's also really awesome when brands kind of see the excitement um, and they want to lend their voice to supporting, you know, this discussion in agriculture too. So we want to thank today's episode, which is being brought to you by Ringers Western. They are one of our favorite Australian Western wear brands. I have worked with them a little bit um, prior to this sponsorship podcast on my um, personal channels. Um, I have their clothing. We're going to continue working with this year. I'm really excited. I'm actually um, had a Zoom with the owner the other day. He is super cool. They're such a young brand, which I wasn't aware of, but I'm just really excited about Ringer. So when we talked about the podcast and they were in, I was just super excited. But as we transition into warmer seasons, you guys, we can't think of a better brand to take the whole family's wardrobe from winter to summer. The quality of their clothing is second to none. And I love that not only do I feel comfortable and practical um, on the ranch, but I can wear it off the ranch and still look really good too. So whether I'm in need of an outfit for a conference or a rodeo or just needing a new pair of boots, um, they are my new go-to. So I want to check you guys to check them out. We're going to link their website in the show notes. So thank you, Ringers Western. Um, and we're going to be working with, with them for the next couple of months. So please check them out, you guys. Honestly, you'll love what they have to offer. I'm very excited. I'm really just excited to get into spring wear. So that okay. was a fact. So we also want to remind you that every month we host a giveaway to say thank you for listening to the Discover Ag podcast. All you have to do to be entered is share our podcast to your social channels or leave us a review. We, as we always say, we love seeing all the shares. Um, just last night, someone was walking their dog and listening to the podcast. So we always have such interesting things of people doing, our listeners doing such cool things. So thank you for always sharing and leaving us a review. I actually shared some reviews yesterday to our stories too. They like made my Sunday, like totally warmed my heart. Um, but at the end of the month, we will pick one winner and send a bag of all of our favorites to them. So get entered. I noticed um, we had a lot of our guy listener DMs this week, which I loved to see. I feel like, you know, sometimes we, you know, as two millennial women, we see a lot of obviously women shares. But I feel like this weekend more than ever, I've seen that like, I had there was a lot of like just guys DMing us, especially about the organic produce from last week. So I thought that was kind of fun. Manpower. All right. Diving into the top three industry news pieces you guys need to know this week. First up, fruit and vegetables are being rationed in the UK supermarkets as farmers warn food resilience is gone. Tomatoes, cucumbers, and a slew of other vegetables are becoming increasingly difficult to get your hands on in Britain. Several of the country's biggest supermarkets have implemented rationing policies for certain fresh produce, as unfavorable conditions in mainland Europe and North Africa have disrupted supply and left shelves empty at grocery stores across the country. Oh, man, where do we want to start? I feel like maybe I want to start with hmm, a couple things. I feel like this is it, it's a combination of reasons this is happening. And I feel like maybe it's worth noting some of those like um, Brexit is partially to blame because of trade barriers, um, energy like and I have kind of like I'm assuming the energy is because of Ukraine, the, you know, the war in Ukraine. And then finally, like bad weather in northern Africa and Spain, where most of the vegetables from the UK come from. And by bad weather, I mean, like, I think some parts had too much rain. Other parts had droughts. Like, it was, like, a ton of different things. The other thing I read about Brexit um, was you had mentioned – what Why did what was your reasoning? Uh, trade barriers. 
Like it's yes, not as okay. easy. Like you have to like do more things now. That's not the fluidity that was it's fluidity word um, yes. that there was before. Listen, we can just make up words too. It's really not a big deal. Yeah, um, that's true. The other thing I honed in on with Brexit that I think is really interesting and important when it comes to agriculture, obviously everyone in ag is going to agree with this, but they talked about the massive drop in immigrant workers from Brexit as well. And that kind of that death of the workers that hit the food and farming sector, um, they can't get people to harvest. And so they're not planting as much. Um, I think there was numbers. Let me see. Yeah. Um, 22 million pounds, about $27 million worth of fruit and vegetables went unharvested. Um, oh my gosh, that's terrible. 40% of respondents said they had suffered crop losses and more than half said they had to cut back production. So I think they're having like a huge labor issue too. Wow. Um, I saw one statistic that crop yields in Spain were down 20%. And so if you like, I don't know, just when I was reading this, I was like, there's a lot of different things happening. Like it's not one single issue. It's like a bunch. It's like a perfect storm of issues for the like fruits and vegetables being imported into the UK. So I don't know if your mind went here, but this is where my mind went is it makes you wonder what's going to happen with other foods, especially animal protein with all the countries that are talking about cutting cattle. Like, if you, I don't know, like I was just thinking like you can't get fruits and vegetables because you're importing them, but now you're going to cut cattle. Like, and this isn't just the UK, you know, we've seen this in Ireland, we've seen this in New Zealand, we've seen this in, you know, the Netherlands. If you're going to remove cattle and now you're going to be importing that as well, are you like just setting yourself up for like food insecurity in your country because you're so dependent on other countries to import your food? So my mind kind of went there a little bit. I think obviously what jumps out to me with this episode is obviously b- being a food, like how important it is to be a food secure nation. Um, and so going back to like when you and I go on a lot of podcasts and we always talk about how we're, I feel like we're lucky to be in the U S where we do have a very, like, I mean, we always say, you know, safe, affordable, abundant food system. Like we're a secure food nation. Um, and even when we had like Zippy Duval on the podcast, when we interviewed him, he talked a lot about like how important it is to invest in like the U S farmers and ranchers because of this reason, like, because we want to remain a food secure nation. We don't want to have to be relying on other people. Um, but Luke and I have talked about this, like going back to your question of like what the future holds, Luke and I have had a lot of discussions about like, are we moving? Will we see a shift in like, and obviously not, I'm not talking like a one year timeline. I'm talking like 10, 20, 30 year timeline of nations trying to be more, I guess, like for lack of better words, like self-sufficient. Like, are we going to see importation exportation like changes majorly where people are focused on being more food secure for themselves instead of like, I guess, like maybe a global perspective that I do not know, but I think it's a very big part of the ag future. That's very unknown. You, um, teed me up. Perfect. For the other point I wanted to make, bring this to the United States. (laughs) Thanks. Um, last week we talked about organic vegetables being imported from Mexico and obviously that's climate, like where they're like how close they are to us. Um, but actually uh, we had a bunch of DMS about how it's hard to grow organic produce in the United States and compete with like Mexico imports because of their low labor costs and like a 
few of other issues like child labor. But I thought going to like how quickly this can happen, we've had a 200% increase of imports of fruits and vegetables since 2000. So in 20, about 20 years, a 200% increase of how much we import. So like, yeah, it's not going to happen in a year, but like 20 years also is not that long to see that big of a change. And 77% of our U.S. imports of fruits and vegetables come from Mexico. So you and I Googled, I literally typed in, is the U.S. a food secure nation? (laughs) (laughs) How did that go for you? (laughs) I actually found a lot of good articles. Um, But yeah, so I came across the same thing that 15%, the U.S. imports about 15% of its overall food supply. Today, more than 200 countries or territories and roughly 125,000 food facilities plus farms supply approximately 32% of fresh vegetables, 55% of fresh fruit, and 94% of the seafood that Americans consume annually. That's kind of hard to put in perspective of like, okay, is that like large or small? Like compared, you know, again, like going to other countries, are we doing a really good job? Like where those numbers are small or are we doing a bad job where we're like, we should be more of an independent nation? I came across, there is this website. um, I'm pretty sure it was FDA and it had the global food security index and that was ranked in order to create that index number, they ranked affordability, availability, safety, quality, and sustainability. And we were ranked 13th out of 113 countries. Okay. So not terrible, but like room for improvement. The other thing this made me think about is, and I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast yet, but going back again to our docuseries we filmed and how we learned about the hundred mile radius. I do, I do think we owe like a huge shout out to California because they are producing 60% 60% of the fruits and nuts and 30% of the vegetables we eat here in the U.S. So without yeah. California ag, we would be having to import way, even way more, I feel like, of. And obviously so, there's other like states that contribute to this. But like California is doing a lot for like our fruits and vegetables and nuts, you guys. Well, and I was going to say, I think that we obviously, I mean, I would hope we don't have to import that much based on our geography of the United States. Like we're a huge country with tons of land, tons of different climates. We can grow fruits and vegetables in California and nuts, and we can grow, you know, cranberries in Wisconsin. Like I just, we have a lot of opportunity to grow a variety of foods in our country. Whereas one of the things in here was like one of the number one problems for England is their climate. They have to import fruits and vegetables. They don't have a long enough growing season. So I feel like we have like obviously a leg up on that situation just because of our sheer size and like the diversity of our landscape. So the other thing this brought up for me, which I'm interested to get your take on, because I know we have not talked about this on the podcast. And I do feel like this is, I don't want to say like a hot topic in ag, but I think it is like um, a driving uh controversial, I guess, maybe take an ag. Um, and it was even on Clarkson's farm. Okay. Again, shout out to why I like Clarkson farms, but he was talking about, cause I didn't realize they filmed so long ago. He, uh, season or episode five was about COVID. And so he was filming. Yeah. In I saw that in the previews. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about how at one point the British farmers were they, or the government was like, that's stupid. Like the British farms don't feed people like it's old fashioned. Like this isn't a real thing. And he's like, and now three weeks later, we're like, okay, farmers are very important people. Like we need you keep working, you know? And so it's like this whole like (laughs) farmers feed the world. And I have seen, I've heard podcasts talk about it. I've seen it on like Twitter, social media handles about how I think there are people that like love that narrative. Like, 
farmers feed the nation, farmers feed the world. And then I think there are people that are like, that is a very dangerous statement. It's a very bad mentality to get into like the, um, like corporate larger, like, um, produce more, bigger, better, like we have to feed people kind of narrative. And I'm interested on your opinion on this because I feel like this article kind of shows, I don't know. I think that I don't think it's a bad narrative. I could kind of I do think there's a fine line. I think there's a fine line of being like we feed the world. There is a need for imports and exports. We talk about that all the time. It's not as simple as just we have a global market. It's not as simple as just like we can produce everything in the United States, period. We don't need anything that like there is global trade and that that's an important part of our like economy. Um, But I do think there's a fine line. I had it described to me actually kind of interesting two weeks ago when I was at the DMI board meeting that like exports too are not about like going into a region and taking over their own. It's about like growing a market. So for example, dairy is hitting like Southeast Asia pretty hard trying to grow their market. And part of it is actually like working with local dairies to grow like their supply, their interest in cheeses. And then we can be like, but like America can provide American cheeses, but like let's grow the entire cheese market, like your local cheeses as well as American cheese, you know? And so it's like a give and take, I feel like. And so I can see, I I think the mentality of like, we can feed the world to some people is like, oh, let's just go in and like America just provide all the food for everybody or whatever country. And I don't think that's what it means. I think it's like about, okay, the UK right now is struggling with this. Like how can other parts of the world like get food to them that's needed? Do you know, like, I think it's like back and forth imports. Yeah, exports. it's uh I like the way that that was described to you. Um also on uh, you know, personal note, if there's anything the world needs more of it's cheese, so for sure. Those. I think everyone those. would be happier if we <laughs> grow those marketplaces elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh so oh. I don't know, that's kind of my perspective on it. I had did you have anything else to add cuz I had one other thing I wanted to add. Um, just to say what they are rationing is tomatoes, cucumbers, bell peppers, lettuce, raspberries um, is the main things. Um, but they are worried about panic buying. They One woman got barred from the grocery store because she bought 100 cucumbers. She would this leave and then come laugh. back and leave. And it's like nobody needs 100 cucumbers. <laughs> like, And it's ex- it just like gave me like COVID flashbacks of like people buying toilet paper. Like my sister was like, I can look through my neighbor's garage. They have like 45 boxes of toilet paper. Like it was like just panic buying for sure. And so I think that's the place that the UK is currently in, which only creates more of a problem. When I was envisioning the lady hoarding (laughs) 100 cucumbers and trying to check out and then get upset being told she couldn't, I was like, that's the reality TV I want to watch. I want to watch people (laughs) doing ridiculous things like that. Like 100 cucumbers, put it on my, put it on Amazon Prime and I'm going to watch it right after Clarkson's Farms. Um, All right. Next article. I'm ready for this one. New Mexico ranchers urge judge to halt aerial slaughter of 150 wild cattle. A specialized team of wildlife managers has killed 19 wild cows in the Guia wilderness in southwestern New Mexico as part of a contested project to rid the area of unauthorized animals. The three-day operation used a helicopter and high-powered rifles to take out the cows in a rugged area where federal officials and environmentalists say the animals have been trampling steam banks, damaging habitat for other species, and ruining water quality. Oops, I made a mistake. I was supposed to call you this morning and tell you that is not how it's pronounced. It's the Gila wilderness. Oh, damn it. That was so close. I'm sorry. I meant to. I was like, oh my gosh, my dad is like panic calling me <laughs> right now while we're recording. Um, anyway, I Do meant to call answer? you. And- 
no, 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 <laughs> we're good. He's absolutely calling about the camping trip and what okay. food I'm bringing. 100%. That is the only thing he's calling. We about. are discovering news right now. <laughs> Dad, your Walmart trip is going to have to wait. Okay. Um, he only anyway. has 100 cucumbers and he's like, do we need 105? <laughs> I know when I brought home groceries yesterday, Daniel was like, you know how big the RV fridge is. And I was like, don't talk to me about it right now. Um, anyway, I meant to call you as Gila wilderness. So I think one of the first thing I want to say is, and this is going to probably come to no surprise to people. When I was on the livestock board and I listened to this, I went and being like, why are we going to shoot cattle? Like, why can't ranchers like help brown them up and like sell them and blah, blah, blah. And we had, we listened to testimony from ranchers. We listened, and I don't know if it was this specific case. I kind of think it was, but it, it would have been a similar case regardless. Um, it wasn't that simple. It just was not that simple. And it was super expensive. So like the ran- there was a rancher who came in and they were willing to round them up. But when they sat down and like crunch out the numbers of what it was going to cost and all these different things, like the U.S. government couldn't just like pay a rancher to go do that. Like because then you'd have to be like, OK, well, which rancher gets to get paid to go do this? And like there was and I know like like, oh my gosh, can't we figure that out? But it really was not that simple. There's like laws against, you know, like the government just like paying people to do things. And like, it was really, really complicated. Um, And so actually by the end of the thing, like I agreed that we like needed to put down these cattle. They were tearing through fences. They were like ruining other people's land. And like there just wasn't a straightforward, easy answer of how to solve this, just based on like the topography of the land, where the cattle were located, the f- that they were feral cattle, that they were carrying diseases, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I did love how feral was used all the time. A lot. It wasn't oh just my cattle, it was feral cattle, which I do I think know, that like, they needed <laughs> to okay. distinguish between like this is not a normal like herd animal, I guess, or a normal livestock. It was just funny that like feral was the word of choice. So I saw the stupidest reel on. Sometimes I like to go on vegan um, pages. Oh, I saw it too! Yay! I was about to. I talk think I about sent it this. to you. Go ahead. Um, oh, I think I saw it already. Somebody else sent it to me too. Maybe. Okay. And how she was talking about how it was like the dumbest thing, and how she thought cows were supposed to be good for the environment, and then she went into yes. like a whole thing about that's because regenerative ag is fake. And I actually kind of want to debunk this. I just haven't got up the energy to do it. But I think first and foremost, it is important to point out like they do have to be taken care of. Um, I think from a rancher's perspective, the first thing that comes into mind is like you, well, I guess maybe not the first thing that comes into mind, but a lot of people talk about like how they were like ruining, you know, fences or land or whatever it is. Um, I also think it's important to talk about like possibility of like breeding or ruining like other, like if you had a herd that was neighboring that area, you would not want those genetics breeded in. And so I think there's a lot of things beyond just like, cause I kept thinking it was so funny when they were, there was a lot of quotes I pulled out here where I was like, that's the dumbest quote I've heard someone say <laughs> mostly by environmental people. I'm sorry. Um, but they were talking about how they kept being like, now we have clean water. And I was like, Oh, what? Like the feral cows are the only ones that shit in the river. Like no other animals do like they just, the statements didn't make sense, but all of it focused on obviously because it's environmental groups that were pushing for this. A lot of it focused on like what these animals were doing to the land. But I think there's a lot of other things to consider that like a, again, quotation, feral cow or bull, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, a lot of damage could be done in a lot of different ways to neighboring land, to neighboring animals, to, I don't know. It just, they do have to be taken care of. Like first and foremost, we can't just let them go. So you're right. Then it comes down to like, okay, what's the best way to do it? 
Um, and you're right. I think until you sit in on those conversations and understand when you're like, oh, we'll just go round them up. Then then, then yeah. you work through like, you know, X, Y, and Z, why that doesn't work. Like a lot of it comes down to safety too. Like even the people that were like willing to be like, okay, we'll go do it. Like there probably comes like I have herded cattle before and even docile like our animals. Like it's not, it's not like they're, you're just going to like get on your horse and then put them into a corral and like it's taken care of. Like there's a lot of safety concerns from like human aspect. There's a lot of safety concerns from like the horses that are involved if they're doing it that way. Like I don't know if you could even round up by like a helicopter and stuff. So I do think it's like a lot more complicated than people want to make it out to be. And like it's called the Gila Wilderness for a reason. Like it's not just like rolling hills that these cattle are in. Like they're all like it's I don't know. It's more difficult to get them. Um, and they are wrecking fences. One of the things in this, though, that we also talked about is cattle are not the only thing wrecking fences. It's recreational users that are like out hiking mm. and they'll cut fences or like put down a fence and not put it back up. And so like going back to your point of like cattle getting where they're not supposed to getting into other breeds. And one of the things that this brought up in like the livestock board was um, we're a branding state in New Mexico. I don't know if Nebraska is. Is Nebraska a branding state? We're so we have to. You're split. Okay. So we have to brand by law unless you have an exemption, which is not like the easiest thing to get. Um, And so I remember there was all sorts of talk about like, well, whose brand is this? And like, what is, you know, whose cattle is it if somebody's cattle get bred by somebody else? Like it was just this whole nightmare situation um, of how to figure out who had what cattle. So uh, one thing I was disappointed to see is our governor, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, she was like disagreed with the um, euthanizing the cattle. And I kind of was like, you know, before you make a statement like that, like, why don't you call the livestock board or call like whoever is in charge of that for you and your people and maybe like educate yourself on what your state representatives and like state people are doing instead of like, I don't, not that you can't disagree with them, but I'm also like, shouldn't you be like a team all working together for the betterment of the state of New Mexico? Not like bashing with the other, like, I'm just like, you probably don't know anything about cattle, Michelle Lujan Grisham. So maybe before you go and make that statement, educate yourself a little bit. Do you know what I, like I mean? I, like, I can't use her full name. Lush, Michelle Lujan Grisham. Like, <laughs> you know, I guess it's just governor Lujan Grisham. She hyphenates. So you technically are supposed to use both last names, but I guess I could have left off Michelle. So one thing that irked me a little bit, triggered, pointed me and put me on a small soapbox, which I'll be interested mm, to tell if me had any of these feelings. But I feel like the hypocrisy sometimes of environmental groups is just like nails on a chalkboard to me. Um, the founder of the Center for Biological Diversity um, and other environmentalists have applauded the Forest Service decisions to do this. Um, they talk about why, like, we want immediate results, clean water, healthy river, restored wildlife habitat. Um, and literally after that, in this article, they wrote, while environmentalists have called for officials to avoid killing wildlife in other areas, this contends the situation in New Mexico is unique and will only worsen if the feral cattle aren't removed. Which, again, I go back to like understanding that this needs to be taken care of. But I would love to see what an environmentalist group had to say about like ranchers shooting cattle for a reason. Like if it comes down to that, then it's like, no, no, no. You guys abuse your animals. You're terrible people. The ag industry needs to end and anim animal agriculture is terrible. You're abusive people. But it's like when the environmentalist group wants to do it, it's like, well, like they had quotes that were like, we just didn't see any, like you kind of, we kind of talked about it, but they were like, we just didn't see any other opportunity, like any way to do it. This is the best and we're doing it humane and you should be applauding us because we care about the environment. And it's like, yeah. are you freaking kidding me? Like if tables were turned, we would be thrown under the bus so hard for this. 
I agree. I there was a lot of hypocrisy in this back, like in this entire situation, um, and that I don't know. I that I think that's no, all I, I have to say about it. it. But it was what I can't stand it. It just drives me crazy. Yeah, I feel like between that and the activists being like cattle are bad for the environment, I was like, this is annoying. I also was disappointed <laughs> to see some ag people online like bashing it, and it was like you know that like. Like nobody just woke up one day and was like, we're just going to go shoot the cattle. Like it obviously was discussed, talked about other options. Like I wish like sometimes within ag, we like acknowledge that maybe we don't know the whole situation before jumping online and like coming, like making accusations, I guess. Well, the NMCGA, which is the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association, and then the HFA, the Humane Farming Association, they were opposed to it. Um, So I do think that there is like, I also wonder, though, like that does that is a way like this is terrible to say, but that is a way for ag to like shine better light on us. Like obviously outside people eyes who have no idea what's going on are going to look on the situation and be like, that's terrible. They're shooting cows. And then if they get to see that, like, you know, the ranching association of New Mexico has like been like, we agree that is inhumane and we should be doing it better. Then it's kind of like, oh, three claps for ag. Like I didn't ranchers care, but I didn't know that. Um, But I think I I think. I don't know. It's just such a nuanced thing. And until you're in the boardroom voting on it, like you said, where all the ideas are put on the table and then all the ways, the reasons why we can't, the money, the situational things behind it, you're kind of like, okay, well, I don't know. I I think it is a PR nightmare for, and I think that is why some ranching groups and stuff came out against it because it is, it does not look good for, it's like one of those things that looks bad for all of ranching. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I do think that for some people was a strategic PR move. So the rabbit hole I went down when I was reading about this, which if you don't want me to sign you up for The Amazing Race, good news. I found a new show we can sign up for. Apparently, Trace Atkins hosts the ultimate cowboy showdown where cowboys compete for cattle. They're in the third season. I had no idea this existed. No Um, idea. You compete for like money worth of cattle. So just count your blessings that we're going for The Amazing Race, Tara, and we're not going for the ultimate cowboy with Trace Atkins. Okay. Um, that was the ad that was in my next news article. So let's go to the next. That was the uh, like ad that came up. Like watch Trace Adkins' new oh, TV funny. show. Yeah, yeah. So jump okay. into third article. Mo- moving on to our third and final piece. You guys need to know this week. It's how much U.S. farmland does China really own? More than Bill Gates, but less than seventeen other countries. Chinese purchases of U.S. ag land sparked concern in Congress among a bipartisan group of lawmakers. But eighteen other countries own more American agriculture acres than China. So. We talked about this a little tiny bit in season one, episode 20, back in July of 2022, which what feels like an eternity ago. Like, what? Very professional. I know. I I never remember those numbers. And look at me having being ready. Um, but so I thought that it, I didn't know this, but the um, USDA makes foreign entities who buy farmland file a report. But nobody was apparently filing these reports because of staff shortages. So the two there's two bills introduced into Congress about foreign entities buying farmland and it being a national security threat. One is the Foreign Ad- Adversity Risk Management Act introduced in the House of Representatives and the Senate on January 25th would trigger the USDA and Government Accountability Office to investigate foreign influence on American agriculture industry. Yeah, so that's something I learned. I learned that currently there is no federal law that imposes any sort of restrictions among private U.S. agriculture land to be foreign owned. Um 
all they currently do right now, like you said, is that they require the foreign persons or entities to disclose to the USDA, basically like information that they're doing it. So as of, I don't know when, sometime (laughs) recently, I think within the last year, they have introduced um, proposals. Congress has introduced them to restrict foreign investment ownership in U.S. food and ag sectors. Um, So I think it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Yeah. Um, While I was diving into that, states can make their own regulations around it. So I actually found a chart um, and I'm going to share it to the Discover Stories, maybe a post or something too. Um, But I was actually shocked at the amount of states um, that either allow it or are silent on it. There is only a handful and it's basically the Midwest strip, like New Mexico, yeah. or sorry, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Iowa, like kind of that area. And then a few speckled off to the right that prohibit and restrict it. And I was, I don't know, it was just very interesting to learn that about like the state leg- legislation. Well, and then we, I think when we covered this last, China was thinking about building some kind of plant in North Dakota near an Air Force base, and they have yeah. been denied that. They were not allowed to yeah. build that. Yeah, North Dakota is um, like not on our territory, you guys. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> they're no just, like get the F out. <laughs> Um, done it China owns because um, something else tried to happen there too. I think maybe Bill Gates even tried to buy something and North Dakota was like, no, uh-uh, not going to happen. And they shut down. They've like shut down multiple um, large investments like that. Um, I think the reason that China's in the news right now though, well, one, the spy balloon. I think that just has like, you know, heightened everybody's like awareness about what's going on with China. But um, from 2015 to 2019, China only increased their like land ownership by 550 acres. But then from 2019 to 2020, they bought 100,000 plus more acres. So like something is going on for five years. They only bought uh, 500 acres. And in one year, they bought 100,000 acres. So, I mean, this does seem peculiar to have this like rapid jump. Um, And so right now they're just under 400,000 total acres. So, I mean, they've increased by like, 20% of the land they own is from the last two years. That's a little like suspicious. I feel like not to be conspiracy. conspiracy. Yeah. So getting into the countries that do own more than China, Canada comes in at number one, Netherlands, number two, Italy, three, United Kingdom, Germany, Portugal, France, Denmark, Luxembourg, and Ireland. Those are the top 10 countries that own us farmland, which it just blows my mind. Like who would have thought Luxembourg owns farmland? Uh, no, who would have thought the Cayman Islands owns almost 700,000 acres? <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, I just think of the Cayman Islands as like people hiding money in like offshore accounts, not as like buying U.S. farmland. <laughs> um, but that was what I was going to say. Canada and the Netherlands don't surprise me at all, like especially like in the dairy world. I don't know about like cattle, but like in the dairy, like I feel like Canada and the Netherlands and the United States are like, I don't know that I just. I was like, oh, duh, that makes sense. Like, obviously, I'm a second generation from the Netherlands. So my grandparents came here. Like, I was like, a lot of dairy farms are from the Netherlands. So those two, I was, I don't know. They just made a lot of sense to me. So I said that wrong. I said farmland and it's agland, which forestry is included in agland. And I think that's a very important part of the piece. Um, because when I was doing a lot of the research, I actually found this huge, it was probably like, I want to say a thousand pages. That's obviously 
being very dramatic, but it was such a long report. I couldn't even bring myself to scroll like the first 30 completely, but it broke down. I did find the chart that broke down the states that have the most foreign ownership. Shocked. But number one is Maine at 20% of it. And a lot of it has to do with forest land, I think. Hawaii oh. was second at 9.2% owned. Alabama and Florida were 6.3%. Um, so it was pretty drastic. Like 20% for oh my Maine. Gosh, I is- never would have guessed that. No. And that's really high. Like a lot of places like Kentucky, like they were 0.5%. They were very low, very minimal. So to have Maine at 20% owned um, was pretty crazy. And I think I didn't get super into it, but I think a lot of it had to do with Timberland there. Um, One thing I wanted to mention, Jeff Bezos actually owns. So Bill Gates and China are equal. How much land they own are pretty close. Jeff Bezos actually owns more ag land than Gates. And the reason is because for his space launch, it has nothing to do with agriculture. It's because he needs space to like launch his rocket into space. Yes. So I actually found (laughs) a list of the largest private well, I don't know if private's the right word. The large, maybe it'd be private. Oh, um, I should have took better notes. Largest landowners. We're going to be really safe. We're going to say largest <laughs> landowners in the U.S. Um, number one was at two, over two million acres. And again, so again, putting into comparison, what did you say um, Bill Gates owns? It was like 240,000. Yeah, it was like 300, yeah. 300,000 acres family they own sierra pacific so again forestry actually a majority i was shocked at how many people on this list were have to do with forestry Forestry. and again going back to like uh foreign ownership most of it is in first was in um forestry then became behind that was like cropland and pasture land um so number one was this uh family this guy from um, Oregon, I think Sierra Pacific. And then, I mean, there was a ton before that 40 Bill Gates wasn't until 47th on that list. Like there was King ranch was above them. Ted Turner was above them. Jeff Bezos was above them. Um, Simplot was above them. I mean, there were so many, obviously there's 46 names in front of Bill Gates. And so I do feel like granted a lot of those, again, going back to this idea of farmland versus forestry and like what the ownership like the land is used for. I think why Bill Gates gets so much like fingers pointed at him, obviously when there's 46 other people, entities, families that own more land than him. And quite drastically, again, if the number one is coming in at 2 million acres and he only has 240,000, his is majorly, a majority of it is cropland. And so I think there is like that tie to food, which is more concerning for people than the idea of like forestry or other things that that land is being used for. Agreed. I feel like I just need to like (laughs) pause and breathe because I'm like getting, I don't know, into my rabbit hole. Well, considering we're at 50 minutes of podcasting, I think it's time (laughs) to wrap this up. Drag me out of the hole. (laughs) I'm pulling you out of the hole. You have no choice. We are ending this. It's just so interesting. I mean, I feel like it has such implications, you know, that we... And again, going back to like states that who allow it and don't, they're like, like Texas was one of the ones that like allow it. So there is obviously like pros to having like foreign ownership, I would guess, or maybe they've never even set to set a law or something. I don't know. I just am so curious about it all. I just want to understand it all so deeply. I think my own, my, probably my last point is, is like some of it I wish we, I knew, like are the, like some of the land ownership from other countries, like say the Netherlands, like I, you know, I know dairy farmers that are technically still of like 
have citizenship in the Netherlands, but like plan to live in the United States, want to get United States citizens. So how many, how, what percentage is those type of people like, like immigrants that want to ultimately be here forever? And how many are just like investments that they're investing in, in land? But like, I feel like that's a whole nother thing. So I don't know. Fine. That's my final thoughts. Well, we ran long again. You guys, like Tara said, this is a long one. Um, So I don't know if this is just our new beat, but um, we try and bring you the news as quickly and efficiently as our little mouths. Actually, I was listening to a podcast the other day and I always have to speed them up to like 1.5. And so it was like on that. And then I listened to one of our Frank one and I was like, holy cow, I cannot even understand what we're saying. I had to like, I need to slow us down. So I don't know how we can put any more news in any sort of less time you guys we're trying we're trying so but thank you so much for listening to discover ag where every thursday we cover the top three trending topics you guys need to know in the ag and food space if you enjoyed today's episode even the longer ones please be sure to let um let us know tell a friend to listen share it on your social channels or take a second to leave us a review in the podcasting app if you guys want more of us during the week, you can always follow us on Instagram at discoverag underscore or our personal channels at Natalie Kavork and at Tara Vandedusen, as well as our YouTube channel, Discover Ag Podcast. See you guys See next you. week. See you next week.